may be seated. Kids can heads off to Children's Church. Well, how's everybody doing today? Great, good, okay, maybe not so great. All are okay and acceptable. Uh, I'm glad that uh, you're all here this morning. My name is Michael. I'm the pastor here. If you're online, um, then we're uh, excited about you being here as well. So we've been in... uh, I don't know if he wants to head off to Children's Church or he doesn't. Uh, we'll be in our uh, series, Enduring Faith, in 1 Timothy, so you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. So we've got just a couple of things to think about. When we look at this um, idea of being faithless or faithful, uh, most of us in the room would probably say, I've been probably relatively faithful. There's been difficult seasons um, and I probably haven't been faithless, and maybe there's those that um, you're even praying for now um, that have found themselves walking away from God or the church, and I want to just hopefully provide some clarity for where I think people might be at, because um, there's a couple of different places. You might um, find yourself disconnected from the church for a season, uh, but knowing that you had made a decision as a kid um, to follow Jesus, um, and so I want to affirm that, but also just remind us that it's not okay to pretend if we don't know if we belong to Jesus. So um, I want to hope to clear up a few of those things um, and just remind us of this. There's a, there's a place that we all put our hope in. Um, it might be uh, in family. Um, it might be in friends or in your position in life. Um, all those things can change. And so we wonder, what is the real anchor of our soul? We know that it's God. Uh, and so as we move into that, be reminded of these ideas, I want to show you a video uh, before we jump into the text. So take a look. Life is um, temporary, and it matters what we put our hope in now. There's a lot of things we experience in life, and which are part of life for everyone, but where do we put our hope? Uh, and definitely when the, the good and the bad seasons come, we, we find out where we really stand. Um, it's not until that testing of the storm comes that we figure out where we're really at. Um, and so hopefully we can do that today. Maybe before that comes, or maybe you're in the middle of it, or maybe there's a season that's coming for you. So 1 Timothy uh, 4, 1 through 10. <clears throat> Just to fill in the blanks today, so we'll make it easy. Uh, the first one's going to be the departed, the departed, so you can go and fill that in. Um, I think many of us have grief, and rightly so, when there are those that we care about who uh, maybe found themselves at a young age um, putting their faith in Jesus, and then um, we see them walk away. And one of my biggest, uh, I think, grievances or pains in ministry, um, and I know this has been the case for Christy and I in our experience working with youth, is something happens, and it's kind of right around that high school, um, college age, uh, where kids kind of really figure out, like, are they going to have their own faith? 
Or are they going to kind of just be like, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of stick with the faith of my parents, and, you know, I hope that all works out. I may take a break, you know, until I find somebody that I like and get married, and then we have kids, and I'm like, I don't want them to go to jail, so they should probably go to church. So, you know, we, we sometimes think that maybe that's the moral solution, but there's real consequences for the choices that we make. Those who are going to really be faithful and follow Jesus or say, you know, I'm, I'm done for a season. And I also want to speak to maybe somebody in the room who maybe even right now, like you're praying for um, a child who, who maybe hasn't been to church in a while, and you're just going like, would you, would you just come back? You know, would you come back? Would you be involved? Would you um, grow spiritually. And so there's those cases too. And I don't want to discount um, the ability for someone to make a decision when they're young and then have a season of maybe walking away and coming back. And I think what Paul's trying to do here, what God's trying to do for us is address someone who might be considered backslid or might be considered uh, kind of walking away for a season and then coming back. But then there's also this person, this text that when Paul's talking, he's also talking about those who would come to church or be a part of you know, what we're doing here or in another local church, like he's talking to the church in Ephesus, and go, you can't just come and pretend. I mean, what would be the point of that? You know, life is short, right? We, we just saw that life is temporary. And there's all these things that pull at our attention, and we have to go, where do we really find our hope? Um, because is there really any point in pretending? Um, I hope that we see that today. So in verse 1 it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. So some people depart because they're not devoted to God. And this, again, this might be because someone never really knew Jesus. And I know that's a really hard conversation to have. And, and honestly, it's not our jo- job to, to judge and go, well, here's where I think you're at. You know? And when you stand before God, hmm, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure how things are going to go. And then there's somebody who, again, has, has maybe taken a step back for a season. You're praying for them, and you're just going, just come back. There's people that care about you here, want you to be invested. Um, and and that, that's, it's difficult. I would say, how do you know where people are? You don't. We continue to pray for people. We're faithful. And then we go, how can we bring you back into what's going on? Um, <clears throat> there was a film uh, back in 2006 named The Departed. Uh, you might have remembered it, Mark Wahlberg and Leonardo DiCaprio um, were in it, and the film was about people who were pretending to be someone they weren't. And so when you, when you think about you know, films like that, and just that premise, like that, like that idea in and of itself is exhausting. Like how can someone, even if they think they're skilled in doing something or pretending to be something they're not, uh, why, why would you even want to do that. Isn't that exhausting? And so I would say to the person who's, who's, who's maybe going, yeah, but it's been working. <laughs> it's been working for a while, you know, and I feel good about it. And, you know, people like me too, and I have the status of being a Christian. But when it comes down to it, like, do we really believe that? Do we really have hope in God and what Jesus has done for us? And I think that's a question that only you can answer. I think at times we can get into that space where we get just like super judgy, like especially with people who are maybe cl- closer to us, uh, maybe friends or family members, and you're like, hey, you know, I know it's uh, it's been a while since COVID kind of you know turned down and people are coming back to church. So would you would you want to come back now? I know that's hard for us, but I just I have that conversation all the time, and I go <clears throat> like, be here, you know, be invested, um, be with us, and so um, why pretend maybe. <clears throat> 
though you find yourself in a position of being a mature believer and being faithful, like what are we supposed to do? We're just, I feel like a lot of times we're just disappointed. We're like, we're trying to encourage and we're trying to pray, but where do we find ourselves? Well, we have to come to this realization that this is going to happen, right? There are going to be some who are going to depart. Now, Paul was, um, he was speaking to a church in Ephesus that had a lot of really bad stuff going on. People were teaching false doctrine. And so we'll get to this place where we have to realize that, that being constant in the faith, like following God wholeheartedly, uh, a few things come along with that. We've got to maintain sound doctrine. So if we're going, yeah, we have sound doctrine. That's you know, why we're here. That's why we're following Jesus. But there are going to be some. Uh, devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, the teaching of demons. And the truth is that anything that's not the truth that belongs to God is that. Anything that's apart from that, all right? So we can find the truth other places as long as it coincides with God's word, but anything outside of that is false. So, right, you can't take a test and, um, and uh, get all the wrong answers. You know, you get the false answer and somehow still pass the test, right? So you know, we have to go through those things. In life, and then in verse two, it says, uh, "Through the insincerity of liars, whose consciences are seared." So some depart because they're influenced by liars. So maybe um, someone comes into the church, they make a decision, but then they hear things that aren't true. They grab onto the philosophy of life of others, and this is um, really important, especially for that group that I talked about. So teenagers, like you're about to transition right into a season. Eli's like, "Don't look at me. <laughs> Don't look at me." You're about to transition to a season, right, of having to make that you know, decision. You're like, I, I think I believe what my parents believe, and I know I made that decision. But then when you're the one who has to make that decision, it's like, yeah, I'm at college. Like, I'm far away. Like, you know, I go back to church when we you know, get back involved. Or I'll read my Bible then. Like, don't, don't stop, because what happens? I like what David said when he was talking about the quiet time passes. Like, we're only going one direction or the other. Like, we're either we're even further away from God, or we're devoted to Him, and we're growing closer to Him. And, and I don't know where everybody's at in the room or where you're at online, but, uh, man, there, there, there are tough times. We just kind of feel like maybe God's not as close as He used to be. Um, and I feel for you for where you're at, but, but we have to stay devoted no matter what during that season because what were some people doing in the church then? Well, through this insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, those who, I, I think you can only tell a lie so many times and not start believing it yourself, you know? Um, like, that's our culture, isn't it? It's like you say something enough times and it must be true, you know? It doesn't matter if it is truth. People will continue to say something. And then I feel like even those who, are, who, are, who know they were lying at first, at some point they go like, I just forgot what the truth was. I just forgot what the lie was. And then they don't know any better, right? Their consciences are seared. Um, I think that can happen in a way to people who even you know, made a decision uh, to follow Jesus early on. So we have to figure out where are we at, how do we pray for those, um, and it's difficult. Um, it is difficult wherever you find yourself. But in verse 3 it says, uh, who forbid marriage, require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So what else was going on? Well, all kinds of crazy stuff. So as Paul's talking to the church, he goes, there's people who are saying, like, don't get married. And uh, if you see other parts um, that, that Paul writes about marriage and about um, young people, he's like, you should get married. It'd be better to get married than to burn with passion. What that means is that not very many people have the gift of singleness, right? How God created a man and woman to find themselves in marriage and start a family, be fruitful and multiply. Like, that's how God made most people. 
you're single, then that's okay too. But when we look at this, Paul was going, there's a lot of people saying that, uh, here's what they're saying. Uh, you don't need to get married. Um, like the physical doesn't matter. Life, you know, food. Um, just it's about the spiritual stuff, man. <laughs> you heard that before. It's just about the spiritual stuff. You know, you just, you, know, you can come to church. But then the problem was that the culture was throwing all kinds of things at, uh, at people. And so they were trying to go to church and some were teaching things that were lies that where you don't need marriage, you can't eat certain foods. And, and they were going like, that's not really working super well um, because uh, I'm in this phase of life where I should be looking for somebody to get married to and doing that. And so there was a lot of confusion. Um, then there were people who were going, yeah, you know, follow Jesus, but also abstain from these uh, types of food. Like there were Jewish dietary laws and, and they're going like, don't eat bacon, okay? You're like, I couldn't have done I wouldn't have been able to do that, right? So, so uh, praise God, that's uh, not the case anymore. So, uh, because he's trying to address these things that people are lumping on top of the gospel. So <clears throat> he's going, don't be led astray by liars. People who continue to lie, they say things that just aren't true, whether or not they've even known God to begin with. They just started to believe the lie. And they're saying things like, don't get married. That's not good. What did God say? It is good. Right? So he's saying, stop, stop making stuff up. Um, stop saying, hey, you can't eat that food, but you can't eat that food. And oh, if you do that, then God's not going to love you. No, he's, he's saying, hey, we're free, but what happens? Uh, well, God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Um, you know, Christianity is, uh, I think, more freeing than most people think. Um, looking from the outside, I kind of always get this, like, you know, this view. Like when, you know, you, <laughs> I'm having a conversation with somebody, and they say, hey, what do you do for a living? I normally start with, I'm a, I'm a teacher. I teach stuff. And they're like, oh, okay, great. You know, so we get further along the conversation. Oh, you're a pastor. Okay. And so yeah, it's like, I don't know if I can talk to you about anything else, right? And maybe some of you have gotten that when the conversation comes up that you're a Christian. You're like, oh, you believe certain things about stuff, and I can't really talk to you about anything. Well, Paul was going, that's not really the way that it needs to be. When we need to be about truth about knowing the truth, but we, we can't be, you know, those kind of people that are going, you're bad, you're naughty, if you do anything wrong, well, some people just don't know better, right? Some people are so stuck in, like, the lies um, that we're just going, we're praying for you, here's how we're going to live and operate, <clears throat> but we've lost truth to a degree, haven't we? And some people think that truth is, like, so binding, like, um, or it's so, like, oh, yeah, I can't be free if I have to live that way, you know, I want to be able to free, you know, be free and do whatever I want, you know, I think about the rejection of truth in our culture, and it affects so many different things, doesn't it? The rejection of truth allows millions of babies to be aborted, right? Over years and years and years, and you're just going like, how could you look at that little being and go, like we've done the sonograms and all that stuff, and I'm just like, that's amazing. Like, God has done this. Um, What should our only response to be to that? To take care of, to cherish, to train up. It's the same thing with the elderly, right? Now, we should be people who care for and, uh, and as a church encourage and lift up those that need help in that space as well. But what does culture do? Oh, the older people don't have anything to offer. Um, they're taking up resources. And so, you know, what should we do? I mean, that's where you get into the whole euthanasia thing, which is crazy. Like some countries in the world do that. And I'm like, that's wrong, isn't it? But people classify truth in a different way than we do, which we know is the truth, but somehow it seems relative to everybody now. So what else does the rejection of truth do? Well, uh, there was a guy like David talked about him um, in the quiet time, a guy named Rehoboam, 
And what did he do? Uh, so he gets the kingship. We've been reading through the quiet time. And uh, like uh, David and Solomon, they've done a pretty good job. By the time you get to Solomon, um, he starts to you know, worship idols. And he's got you know, so many wives that are dedicated to all these other um, uh, religious systems. He's trying to honor those two. And the text says that it, Solomon actually, towards the end of his life, he starts to depart from his heart being dedicated to God, like what we've been talking about today. And so, I mean, lo and behold, why should we be surprised? One of Solomon's kids, Rehoboam, he takes over, and what's the first thing that he does? He goes, what should we do here, guys? And he comes before the council of elders that Solomon had, and he has this decision to make, and and he he has to either decide to take the wise counsel of the elders that were Solomon's advisors, uh, or he goes, I'm going to get my peers in here. I'm going to get guys who are just like, Rehoboam, man, you are the man. Like, whatever you say sounds good, right? And we have those kind of relationships with people who are encouragers, maybe a peer, but, uh, but those guys weren't willing to say what was the right thing to do, weren't willing to give him that advice. And ultimately, things go really, really bad in the kingdom. So there's a split, of course. And then we get to the quiet time today. And if you look at the one for tomorrow in chapter 13, if you just skip ahead a little bit, um, there's a guy that comes <clears throat> after Rehoboam, Abijah. And Abijah realizes as Solomon's son, things have gone really bad. And like, if we don't do something, I mean, there's no one's going to be left, right? So kingdom split. And Abijah comes to this place where he's brought uh, 400,000 of his troops. And there's 800,000 troops of this guy uh, who is on the opposite side of the kingdom. And he's he's opposed to Abijah, Jeroboam. And he says, uh, we're going to kill all you guys. Like, yeah, we don't follow God. And Abijah says something interesting in verse 11 of chapter 13 of Second Chronicles. He says, they offered to the Lord every morning and every, every <clears throat> evening burnt offerings and incense of sweet spices, set out the showbread on the table of pure gold and care for the golden lampstands in its lamps by, the burn, uh, by burning every evening. For we keep the charge of the Lord our God, but you have forsaken him. And he was talking to Jeroboam. And, and then he says in verse 12 here, Behold, God is with us at our head, and his priests with their battle trumpets to sound the call to battle against you. O sons of Israel, do not fight against the Lord, the God of your fathers, for you cannot succeed. But why does this happen? On a, I mean, on a regular basis, we always look at the people in the Old Testament, like David mentioned. They're like these figures that we, we, we go like, they're so, uh, they're so far away from us. We can never relate to them. But, but what happens here? Abijah goes, we're going to follow the Lord. We're going to go back to the Lord. and See what you guys have done? You're worshiping all these idols. Sure, you've brought 800,000 men, and I'm sure Jeroboam is probably like, yeah, we're going to beat you easily. We got 800,000. You got 400,000. I mean, just do the math, man. So what ends up happening? Jeroboam, while Abijah's talking to him, he's crafty. He's deceitful. So he sends a bunch of guys behind Abijah's men, and he thinks, oh, we got him now. We got him now. And then when, they, when Abijah realizes what's going on, the priests, they don't waste any time. What does he talk about here in this text? The priests have these battle trumpets. If you look throughout the Old Testament, like the priests were the, I mean, they were the dudes, right? They were the men. Like, you know, the king's like talking to people. He's like trying to work things out. And the priests are like, we're ready. You know, if they blow the trumpet, then, I mean, game over. And so that's exactly what they did. They blew the trumpet. And so 400,000 of Abijah's men kill 500,000 
Jeroboam's men. And as they're running away, they're just striking them down. And they take over all these cities that Israel and Jeroboam have taken back from God's people. And so I don't know, you know where you're at this morning. Um, when we think about those who have departed or walked away, like it, it never works well, does it? Right? And people always wonder, like, um, and this isn't about like money or um, health, because I think sometimes people think like, if I depart, if I walk away from God, and I may still be saved, and so I got that insurance card, you know, fire insurance card to get into heaven, um, which is still not a good view. But I think sometimes people think like, if I don't get sick, and if I have money, and like God blesses me with a position, and my family's all good, then He must think everything's okay. And then I don't need to be invested anywhere in a church. I don't need to be discipled by anybody. But all the while, what happens? They start believing the lies. They're pulled away from God. And in verse 4, it says, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So some people depart because they reject the good things, right? They, they hear the things of God, and they're like, I don't know that I want to live in that way. I don't know when I, I want to have to be dedicated to like reading God's word and prayer. And like, that seems like it would take a lot of time. It does. But what do you find when you do that? Peace, joy, the good things, right? And then even the things that are exterior to that, you know, Paul's saying it's okay to eat bacon and stuff. Like, praise God, you know. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we can be thankful for that. But um, when he's saying this, he's going like, why are you guys focusing on all this stuff that doesn't matter? Or thinking that just because if you do these things, you and God will be good. That's not what it's about. It's about having a relationship with God. People will continue to walk away. So do you struggle? Do you know anybody that has struggled or is struggling or has departed? Do they know God? I don't know. I think we need to continue to pray for those that have walked away um, and say, you know, it's not my job to judge, but what is my job to do? To focus on God, to continue to live that godly life, and be the source of truth in that person's life as much as I can be. And so that's where we go. So we go from the departed to the constant. That's the second fill in the blank to the constant. So, um, and where do we find our constants? Let's see. Um, so in verse 6, it says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. I like what Athanasius, church father, said about this verse. He said, Virtues and vices are the food for the soul, which can feed on either one, turning to whichever one it wants. If it is bent towards moral excellence, it will be fed by virtue, by righteousness, temperance, meekness, meekness, and endurance. Um, And man, we need that for this life, right? Because it's not easy. So what do we need to do? Being trained in the words of faith, a good doctrine that you have followed. Sometimes we wonder, like, when somebody walks away and they start becoming negative and hateful and mean, you know, we're like, what? like what's going on? I'm confused. Does that happen to somebody who's not following God wholeheartedly? Well, you can be guaranteed that's what will happen, right? So what do we need to be focused on, being that good servant of Christ Jesus? Well, how do we do that? Well, being continually surrounded by those who are not always going to tell us what we want to hear. You know, you think about kings like Rehoboam. He was like, I like my ears to be tickled. And, oh, what do we hear in the New Testament? What are people going to do in the end? They're going to surround themselves by people that are going, you're great, you're awesome. It doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter what you do. It actually doesn't even matter what you say because your truth is your truth. You can live however you want to live 
and God will be good with that. Like at the end, he'll just be like, way, way to do you. And that's how the kids say it, right? A way to do your thing. And you, man, you did your thing well. God's not going to be like that, right? We stand before God. Now, because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, he's not going to sit there and beat us over the head with the things that we have done. He's going to go, hey, where's your name? Is it in the Lamb's Book of Life? Like, that's what matters. But because of that, shouldn't we be pushed even closer to God? Like, some people think, like, I've got my fire insurance card, so I'm going to be able to get into heaven, and then again, I can, I can do whatever I want. And uh, Man, the scripture would say that we have to be really, really careful with that kind of attitude. Someone who could say, I'm good, doesn't matter what I do. Well, it does matter. That kind of shows who we are, isn't it? Doesn't it? Then in verse 7, having nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, rather train yourself in godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, and it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now, I don't know if you've ever trained for anything. Um, it's painful, right? It takes a lot of time. And most people, they will get like a couple of weeks into training for something, some event. Um, I think of people to pick on. I think about Eli because he's done a lot of like the running stuff lately. And that's just awesome. Like I love to hear about that kind of stuff. The kids being active and like training towards a marathon or something else. Because if you tried to run like even a couple miles, you'd be like laying on the ground probably, you know, <laughs> in a pool of your own sweat and not being able to go any further. But, but what do runners do? Well, they continue to build up. Like, hey, I ran two today. I ran three. I ran four. And so eventually over the course of like six to nine months, whatever you're training for a marathon or um, just a track event, you're able to do that. Now, it's still maybe painful in the moment, but what does Paul say here? So he says, don't have anything to do with irreverent, silly mess. Rather, train yourself in godliness. So in a similar way, what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be training ourselves in Godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. No, he doesn't say, you know, just sit on the couch. Like, like being active, don't worry about that. Because there are people on both sides of this. And some who are saying, just be spiritual. Like you can, you know, you can do whatever you want. You can live however you want. God, God doesn't care. Don't take care of your body. Just think about God. Just sit there and think about it, right? What was that? You know, is that how life works, right? We have times where we're devoted to God, but then he's like, get up, <laughs> go do something, right? Um, don't be inactive. So Paul, he, he touches on this. I like this. He doesn't discount bodily training. He says, uh, for well, bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way. Like we don't get to heaven and God's like, good job. I mean, like, I'm gonna let you into heaven because, man, you just, you conquered all those 10Ks and, uh, you know, great job, man. You're, you're who I'm looking for to be in heaven. Like you can just you know, do the motivation for everybody when you get here. Uh, no, He's, uh, he says, hey, it's of some value, but what's of more value? Godliness is a value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So what are we training for? I like this word here in the Greek. It's the uh, uh, gymnazo or gumnazo, however you pronounce it in the Greek. And there's a couple of different ways. Um, it's where we get our word for gym. Gym class, some of you hated that, like in school. And you're like, the rope was just like, you know, you get in there and the coach is like, everybody has to do it. And you're like, not everybody was built to do that, man. Not everybody was built to do that, okay? Um, so I am sorry if that was you. Like, for some reason, everybody thought, like, you know, you get the completion grade, of course, but I don't know, you get like a B or C in that, but, you know, it, it can be painful, right? I mean, you're going like, I, I just, I wasn't made to do that, okay? So, you know, something else, but. Um, but not that, and so I know it's, uh, 
it's difficult for us, but there's supposed to be some sort of training, right? We shouldn't expect to be godly. We shouldn't expect people who, like our kids, like that we're raising up and we're trying to go like, don't leave the church, like don't forsake God. Because what did Abijah realize? He had this whole like generation of people and when he's talking about why they're going to win and he tells, he tells Jeroboam, you cannot succeed. You will not win. Can you imagine like walking into a battle and you've got 400,000 people and there's 800,000 people on the other side of you and then there's guys that are going behind you that are like, we're going to decimate them. And Abijah's standing there and he goes, you cannot succeed. What kind of confidence do you have to have? Well, you've got to have God on your side. And that's what he knew, right? So where does our confidence come from? Like Abijah, he says, hey, there was this guy who we followed faithfully, God. David, our father, did. And by the way, Abijah was in the line of David. He, he, not, he, put, he put the claim on, hey, spiritually we're following God. But he said, you're not even in the claim of God. You're not even in the line of God. So here's who we have on our side. Here, who's who we've got backing us. So do we believe that? It's like if we did, we would train, right? We would train a little harder because we're going, how, how can we be defeated if God's on our side, Right? And this is not about circumstances either because I think sometimes we read this and we go like, yeah, we'll be like Abijah. We will never get sick. Uh, we will never have like a hard day of not knowing where money's going to come from. We will never you know, have that day where we're like, you know, we're never going to have to rush our kid to the hospital, you know, not know what's going to happen or our spouse or whoever else. And then we're just thinking like, God, like I thought we were cool, <laughs> you know. That's not how it works. Training in godliness for the life to come is the end goal, right? It's training for right now, but you're also training for the end because that's what matters most, right? So when we have that perspective, okay? So when things don't go exactly the way we want them to, we can't run two miles, it's okay. Keep training. But we go, here's what matters most, spiritual training. And in verse 9, it says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Don't you love that, Paul? He, he says this uh, many times. He goes, this saying is trustworthy and true. He's not being prideful. What he's doing is he's going, I know there's a lot of other things that you're hearing on a regular basis. I know you're like, you're going to the street and the markets and kind of like now, what do we hear? A lot of stuff that's not the truth. A lot of things that at times, oh, that sounds nice or that sounds good or I'd like to be able to live that way. Maybe I could. But what does Paul say? He says, this saying, it's trustworthy and it's deserving of full acceptance. Why? Because God gave this to him. And now we're reading it and we're going like, yeah, we need to accept this word more than we need to accept any other word, right? doesn't matter what anybody else says. It matters what God says, right? Now we need wise counsel. We need those people in our lives who uh, can encourage us and disciple us. But there'll be a time, I think, and there's been times probably maybe in your life where you're going like, there's somebody who says something. And if it contradicts God's word, it doesn't matter who it is. Now hear me saying this because I think probably most of you experience maybe a difficult season where you're going like, I know I would do whatever that person said, but if it contradicts what God's word says, then you shouldn't do it, right? So who's our ultimate source of authority? Paul's going, this saying is trustworthy and it's true. doesn't matter what anybody else says. doesn't matter what they do. Here's what we need to put our hope on. So, and I like this uh, phrase here, that we have our hope set. It's one word in the Greek, elpizo, and it, it means more literally this waiting for salvation confidently. Waiting for salvation confidently. Like, it doesn't matter what else is going on, because I, I know. Like, I, if I put together, like, the collective 
um, hurt and difficulties and anxiety and burdens that everybody bears on a regular basis, we would just all be overwhelmed. Like, like we can, at times we can barely handle our own, and we're going like, don't tell me your problems, because I can't, I can't even handle my own, right? <laughs> but if we started talking about things, man, like, but what does God do for us, right? He, he picks us up, and, and, and in those moments, in the season, sometimes in the ones that just don't ever end, we're just like, when is this, like, difficulty going to, man, that would be nice if God, you just took it. If you remember... Paul talks to God about a difficulty. He says he's got this thorn in the flesh. We don't really know what that is, but when he talks about it, he asks him over and over again, would you take this from me? And what does he do? No, he doesn't take it. He goes, because in this strength that God provides, he allows us to get through the season and to trust him more. Now, would it be nice if he took those things away? Yeah. Sometimes those things never go away. So what do we need to do? We need to have our hope set, this waiting for salvation confidently. Hebrews 11.1 1 uses the same word. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Bruce remembered it. Things hoped for. The confidence of things not seen. But how do we walk throughout life? I don't hear a lot of people saying, that's cool. <laughs> we knew it. So, uh, we're like, yeah, because I've been remembering that recently, right? <laughs> Whatever's going on for you. So, Hebrews tells us this. The faith of what? The assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. And it's easy for people outside. I mean, people who have departed being like, I tried that and it didn't work. I mean, see, like, look at how your life is going. Like, is it any easier? You go, no. But how are you getting through life without a hope set on salvation? I don't know how people do it without God. So we have this hope. It's waiting for salvation confidently. And who are we waiting on? Who are we hoping in? Set on what? A living God. This word here for living is uh, zaho in the Greek. It, it means to enjoy real life, being blessed by God. And this word is actually a direct comparison to the good life we were talking about a couple weeks ago. So there's this life that I think people think if they can achieve, if they can attain, if things are going well, if everybody's good and healthy, I mean, I have everything I've ever wanted, then somehow that trumps this enjoying of God, this enjoying blessing and knowing God and walking with him faithfully and so i'm going to pick i'm going to pick it's okay to pick on people it's not anything bad right um they're like don't talk about me i like it so i was talking with janet um i don't know if this was with this week or last week like i don't know i don't know what he's gonna say don't stop so so we were going back and forth and she always says some things that are you know similar she just always had a good a good attitude i said okay you know have a good day i always say something like that to you guys you know <laughs> you're with the lord it should be a good day right she says every day is a good day pastor and so i was like man like take it to another level right so every day is a good day and it's not that there's not difficult days right but if we know jesus then man uh, he definitely trumps all those other things that go on so this living it's used a couple other places in the bible jesus uses it when he's talking to satan in the wilderness when he's in the temptation in matthew chapter 4 4 it says but he answered it is written man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So how do we live? Like, just on food? No. Jesus was trying to get at something great, right? Satan's like, oh, I'll get in with food. I never tried to trump the, uh, trip up the God of the universe, right? So when he's talking to him, Jesus is like, hey, there's a word I want you to remember. It's a word for living. And when Satan heard that, he, he wasn't just going like, oh, no, you know, he got me again. He was like, oh, Real life comes from living and following God and being blessed by that continually. Satan wasn't confused. 
which is why he only tried three times, right? <laughs> he only had three things to say to him. Okay, I'm not going to convince him. And this was just one of them. Shall not live by bread alone. So who do we live with? Who do we live by? The God of the universe. That's where our hope, that's where our confidence comes from. And Jesus asked Peter a question, and he uses the same word in Matthew chapter 16, 16. It says, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So who do we serve? I mean, who do we have our hope in? We don't have our hope in something that's going to crumble easily, right? We have our hope in a living God. And the question is, do we really believe this? And, you know, we, we ask ourselves this question, where do we find our hope? Or in finding our place of hope, is that really in God? I mean, it's easy just to go, like, gut reaction. I'm a Christian, yes. But is it really in God? Are we able to say, like, every day's a good day? What's the song, Every Day With You, Sweeter Than The Day Before? I'm not going to sing, but, right? You know, we, it, like, some days, like, somebody's singing that or somebody's trying to encourage you and they tell you a Bible verse, they start singing that song, Remember Every Day With You, Lord? And they're like, you're like, stop. Because it's not, like, every day's not, right? Difficult days. But with the Lord, it should still be a good day, right? Because if we had nothing else, if everything else got taken away, then we still have God. Doesn't mean you can't be sad. Doesn't mean you can't be distraught or have difficulty, <clears throat> but we have hope. And so uh, this was not this last week, but the week before, and we've had a lot of things going on, um, and so I didn't bring it up before, but I always go in every six months. Like, I have a cancer screen because I had melanoma, and so I, I don't have that still at this point, um, praise God, but I went in for a cancer screen, and there's always some level of anxiety if you've ever had cancer before. Um, like, when you, you go in, and you're like going, like, I trust you, God. I hope that I don't have that again i hope that doesn't come back but there's some degree of trust right there's some degree of going like i serve a living god i have hope in him it doesn't really matter i mean because because god's not going if you love me if you serve me if you trust in me the living god then you won't experience difficulty and i got hit in the face a lot of times like not literally but you know a lot of times you know just growing up with like the difficulty right and at 29 i was going like that's not what i expected cancer Right? And some of you have experienced that, but praise God, I walked out of that appointment and Doc was like, all good. So, see you in another six months. And that's always the caveat, you know, you're like, thank you. I don't want to come back here again. <laughs> right? But you have to. Praise God for modern medicine and God's uh, common grace that he gives to us in that, or we just wouldn't know about some things that happen to us. And, um, you know, so I think about that. Where do we really find our living hope? I think it's in those seasons where we, we experience that, and what Paul's saying, we're like, yeah, you know, like I believe that, and I want to be constant, um, but sometimes it's hard. I like what um, Charles Spurgeon said about this last verse, in verse 10, and then I, um, I'll close just with kind of a question or an idea. Uh, Spurgeon said this about verse 10, great God, how infinite are thou. What worthless worms are we? Let the whole race of creatures bow and pay their praise to thee. Perspective is really important, isn't it? And, and how we know and how we pursue God. Like if we become prideful, if we become arrogant and we just go like, like I don't need God or like nobody else can tell me what to do. Nobody else can come, like a godly believer, like nobody else can come alongside me and be like, hey, I think you need to make an adjustment. Hey, think things aren't quite right. Hey, there are these things that you're doing in your life that maybe aren't matching up. And shame on us if we can't receive instruction, right? Shame on us if we can't give it to. Sometimes we're just too afraid. We're like, I don't know what they'll think about me, right? But what does Spurgeon remind us of here? 
Like if, if we, our attitude should be lowly. Like we worship the God of the universe. We're all doing this together. Everybody makes mistakes. Now the question is, who are you? Are you the person that really views God like this, that knows where his or her hope comes from? Like Spurgeon said, let the whole race of creatures bow and pray their praise to thee. Like if that's who we are, then we can receive instruction. We can receive in, in correction. Um, we can be the kind of people that encourage others that are just going like, you know, I know I say this kind of stuff all the time, have a good day. And Janet's like, every day's a good day, right? It could, you know, be more like that. I want to be more like that every day. So who are you? Well, I think there's really two people in the room, two different types of people. We've talked about this. David mentioned it in the quiet time talk as camps. You know, so what camp do you really find yourself in? Um, maybe you're here today, you're online, and you're thinking about this, you're like, am I more like Jeroboam, who he had like a, he had, he had been really successful, by the way, like he had, he had taken over part of the kingdom, he wasn't in the line of David, but people were following him, Um, you can be really successful in life, I think, you can have a lot of things go really well for you, but at the end of the day, like, you know, I mean, you don't want to be on your deathbed going like, I'm not sure, like, I'm not sure if I know God, if I know him through Jesus Christ, and you, and, but all through your life, like, what did, how did you live? What did you practice? Was it like, um, <clears throat> as long as things are good, as long as I'm successful, then God must not, must not have a problem, and, you know, my hope, right? We sing about our living hope, right? But is that really in God? If it's not, if it's just in all the other things that we can build for ourselves, if you're, if you're watching online, you just go like, I, I mean, it's worked so far. At some point, it's not going to work. And I hope that maybe you realize that before standing before God because that's not going to be a good conversation. I don't want that to be a great conversation with God. I was like, you put your hope in me. Every day was a good day because you followed me. Maybe you're like person, we'll call it person one, person one, person two. No, person one who's been following God um, faithfully. There's been difficult seasons, but you've been constant. And you think of maybe the way you've lived your life, maybe more like Abijah, somebody who's placed their hope um, in God and having a right relationship with him is so important, having this right perspective. And what did Spurgeon say? Great God, how infinite art thou. What worthless worms are we? Let the whole race of creatures bow and pay their praise to thee. So is that how we live? I mean, is that how we operate? Is that how we interact with people? Our relationships would look a whole lot different, I think. If that really is... um, I don't know. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you know, you're in this place and you're like, I'm more like Jeroboam, like, help me. Like, I don't want to walk into some battle or some situation in life or, like, go throughout life thinking that success and, like, and, like whatever merit or things that I can get for myself will put me in right standing with God. They won't, right? And, and who knew it? Abijah knew it standing before Jeroboam. He goes, you can't win. You can't win. Why? Because they had God on their side. So maybe if that's you and you don't know God, uh, maybe you're just trying to figure that out. Um, I just give you this opportunity that if you admit you're a sinner, believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died on the cross for your sins, and confess with your mouth that he's the Lord of your life. The scriptures tell us you'll be saved. And, and I don't want you to either um, online or in person receive that with like this fire insurance mentality like we talked about. If that's a decision that you need to make, um, make it and be committed to God. Um, be this person who can be constant. Not without difficulty, but knowing that every day that comes, if you stay dedicated to God, you stay in his word, you're around his people, you're growing, um, that man, the, the kind of things that he can show us, the peace that he can give you, and the days that he can give you, which will be very different than those who don't follow God. Or if 
simply departed for a time. And I know we're all praying for people too. I don't want to discount that. Um, I want to, when I pray and close here in a minute, I want to pray for those as well. And we all have friends, family members who maybe at one time were following Jesus and then we're just like not sure where they're at. We try to have conversations and those are so difficult with family members, isn't it? We're like, hey, like I love you and this is why I'm saying like you, you need to be somewhere. You need to be connected to God. You know, are, you, are you growing closer to him? If you're not, probably going further away. And so I, I know where many of you are at. I feel that too. And so I want to pray for that and just encourage us. Um, I'm glad that you're here and that we're growing together. So let's pray. Father, we uh, come to you today. Um, we just thank you for the word that you give us and um, all these things to think about. You know, we think about what Paul said in um, 1 Timothy, and it's just overwhelming at times, like to, to be constant, to be training in godliness. It's so hard, uh, much like training our bodies, but we know what you said, what you gave Paul to tell us. Earthly training, this worldly training, bodily training is of some value, but um, God, um, spiritual training is far more important. Uh, God, we pray for all those. Uh, maybe for someone who has made a decision um, at an early age and has just walked away. God, we pray for those who, who may know you, may have some tidbit of knowledge of you. We pray that you bring them back to yourselves. Help us to be vessel, vessels of encouragement and not of, not of judgment. Um, God, uh, that's your job. It's not ours. Um, just pray you put us in this humble place of knowing who we really are, uh, people who are constant, um, not because of anything that we've done, because of everything um, that you've done. Um, God, I pray that like those examples you've given us in the Old Testament of real people, like real people who made really bad decisions and made good decisions. Um, God, I pray that um, at least in this account, we talk about Abijah and Jeroboam. Um, God, I, I pray that we be more like Abijah, um, knowing that our God is with us. And uh, God, if you're with us, like your word tells us, who can be against us? And this isn't about what we do in life, but um, God, that we know where we stand when we stand before you in heaven, judgment. Uh, God, we pray uh, for those who don't know you at all, maybe people who think that they do, um, who have said that they are believers, Christians, uh, and are really not. Um, God, we pray for those that are far away from you. We know your word is sufficient. Your salvation is sig- sig- significant. It's, um, it's capable of saving everybody. And we just pray that uh, for those who have that perspective, that placement in life, they be drawn to you for the first time. And uh, it's your name we pray. Amen.